0: It's also graduation day in here this morning as we finally wrap up the book of Philippians. I invite you to join me in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians has been all about Jesus and being like Jesus. Even the passages that... That seemed to be about Paul as he spoke about his own life and and how God worked through him. Even those words of testimony were still about Jesus, that we might be more like our Savior. For one last time, let's say together our theme passage, which is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Let's say it together. even death on a cross. God did not send Jesus so that we might just coast through life. He sent Jesus so that we might be like him. There's a piece of the biblical puzzle that many churches and denominations and fellowships of churches have gotten wrong, and I'm not, I'm not excluding us from that Uh, From that grouping of churches, many, countless many, have seen the gospel transformation as a transformation of our life after death, which it is, right? We're not much of an amening church, but that would be an amen spot, right? We sometimes see the gospel transformation as our transformation of that life after death, and it is, but the gospel is the good news that we can have eternal life with God, with our God and Savior Jesus Christ right now, that he would transform our life in the here and now, and that's what uh, the book of Philippians has been all about. Yes, we do have a future eternity to look forward to, a new body, praise the Lord. Scripture talks about that That. Um, glorious heavenly city called the New Jerusalem, where the streets are paved with gold. Gold is so plentiful, it's, it's stuff we just trample underfoot. How beautiful that will be. The good news is that we have eternal life in the future, that, that room in the Father's house. We have all those things. The gospel does transform our life after death, but our gospel transformation must start in the here and now. That's what the book of Philippians is all about. That we would have the mind of Christ. The gospel, the true gospel, will impact us in our everyday living. So we've concluded the meat of the text last week with the doxology of verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so today we look at the closing of the letter and thus close the book. So I invite you to follow along as I read our text for today. The rest of the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use your spirit in our hearts to understand and, uh, and pull out some good applications from these uh, brief closing verses of this epistle. So Lord, I pray that you would guide my thoughts and words, guide our thoughts and responses so that we might indeed live like our Savior. In his name we pray, amen. It can be hard to say goodbye, can't it? Uh, we especially experience this when we uh, are with friends or family that we don't get to be with much. And, and some of you are experiencing that today. You're with family for a graduation, but you're going to have to go back home. And, and saying goodbye can be difficult. Oh, it's getting late, time to go. And saying that might mean you still have another hour or two of conversation, right? Right? Because sometimes it can be hard to finish a conversation. The same is true with the letter that Paul has written to the Philippians. I have absolutely no doubt that he had more to say. And yet at some time, you just have to be done. And that's what we see here in these last few verses. Sometimes when we say goodbye, we're at the end of the conversation and we're reminded of other people. Um, do you ever say, say hi to your folks for me? Some of you do. That's more of a, an older generation thing. I remember my parents saying that all the time. That they'd be at a friend's house and as they're wrapping up, they'd say, oh, well, say hi to your folks or or tell your folks that I says hi, which is grammatically horrible, but that's, how they would say it. And then all of a sudden, there's another conversation that starts up about the health and well-being of your parents. As Paul is winding down the letter, he no doubt has specific people in mind. Much as our conversations wind down and we, oh, I remember that neighbor I grew up with. How are they doing? That, that sort of thing. Uh, Paul has specific people, specific faces in mind as he writes this closing. And to mention them all by name would be, to certainly leave someone out so he, he doesn't even go there. But in sort of a shorthand, Paul lets whole groups of people know that he is thinking of them specifically, that they are individual parts of a greater brotherhood, that, that we're in this together, even though Paul is no longer with the Philippians. Remember, he helped start that church. He had a great affection for them personally, but he's not with them now, hasn't been with them for years. He wants them to know that they're still a part of who he is. They're still part of this grander body of Christ, this greater body of Christ. So just as last week's verse, verse 20, was all about bringing glory to God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. As that verse was about bringing glory to God, verses 21 through 22 are about... Four distinct groups of people, who give glory to God separately in their own ways, but how uh, they are all part of the same brotherhood, the same body of Christ. So, in verse 21, let's break it down. In verse 21, we see uh, this letter closing down by saying, "This is to every saint." He says, "Greet every saint in Christ Jesus." Oftentimes, Paul would refer to all the saints as he did in the opening verse. Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and just rehash the whole book. No, we're not going to do that, but we are going to look at verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to whom? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the pastors and deacons. There he says, all the saints. The Greek... The the, the original text underlying our English translations is clearly different in chapter 1, verse 1 than it is in today's passage, chapter 4, verse 21. In the opening verse, verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul uses the plural. He says, greet all the saints. In this closing greeting, Paul uses the singular, greet every saint. Now, most of our English translations uh, bear that out. The NIV, for whatever reason, does not make that distinction uh, but regardless, it's not the end of the world. The, the point is that what Paul is intending to do is to not just speak to the group as a whole, but to speak to the individuals. Too often uh, we deal in abstract things when we think of people. We think of this nebulous group of people and it, it becomes easy to disassociate uh, that group from the individuals and from uh, from the real life that each individual has. And Paul isn't doing that here. He's, he's actually very specific in how he writes his closing greeting, is, is the term that we use, even though in, in our culture we think of greeting as the hello. <laughs> this is actually the goodbye. Uh, Paul is very specific in, in choosing to write it in this manner, saying, greet every saint, as opposed to greet all the saints. Individuals are who he has in mind. Individuals that have unique strengths and weaknesses. Individuals who are in unique circumstances. It's one thing to have in mind the group, it's another thing to have in mind the individuals of the group. And Paul demonstrates that in how he writes this that's what he's doing. I pray for you, our church. I hope you do too. I pray for our church in a collective sense that we would, as the body of Christ, be obedient to the Great Commission and, and tell others about the gospel of Christ, make disciples who worship, grow, and serve. I pray that God would direct us as a congregation, as he pleases, that he would protect us from heresy, wrong theology that he would protect us from sin which is wrong actions in chapter 1 verse 1 Paul directs the letter to all the saints in a collective sense just as I pray for our church in a collective sense but I also pray for our church in an individual sense I hope that you do that too Uh, we have uh, a handy weekly prayer sheet that takes some specific requests that have been shared so that we can pray for individuals in their specific needs. I take that weekly prayer sheet and pray through it. I take our church directory and I pray for each individual. And I, I mark it up so that uh, as, as I hear of different circumstances in your lives individually, that I can pray for it when I spend that time. Because guess what? When I take time to pray for people, it's very easy to forget what's going on in people's lives. And so I want to keep record of that. So as I pray through the church directory, I pray for each individual. The way I pray for the church at large as a collective looks differently than the way I pray for the church Individually, and I think Paul's making that distinction here at the end. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, let's not just breeze by that last phrase, in Christ Jesus. It would be easy to do so because Paul talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, he speaks often of doing this or that in Christ Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents. What? In the Lord, right? Right? There's there's all sorts of in Christ Jesus moments in Paul's writings. In just the book of Philippians, he mentions Christ Jesus about 40 times. And it's a short book, and it's only four chapters. It's not a very long book. It'd be easy to breeze by this little phrase. But in saying in Christ Jesus, what is Paul actually asking us to do? Is Paul saying, is Paul calling them the saints in Christ Jesus? Or is he saying, greet in Christ Jesus the saints? Let me read the verse. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. I believe he is saying that in Christ Jesus is to modify the how we greet. And here's why. Why? Tell me, what is a... Don't actually tell me. But tell me, what is a saint that is not in Christ Jesus? There's no such thing, right? So he's not using in Christ Jesus to describe what a saint is. A saint is someone who's in Christ Jesus. Anyone who has put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ is, according to the biblical definition, sanctified, set apart, hence that word saint. And so he's talking about believers... And these believers are already in Christ Jesus. He's not being redundant. So, what he's saying is greet. That is the verb. That is the what we are to do. Every saint is the who we are to greet. And in Christ Jesus is how we are to greet them. So, the command is more than just say hi to them. I mean, that's what greetings are, right? Saying hi. The command is to encourage each one with the truth of Jesus. Did you catch that? That's what the passage is saying. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So that means no matter what circumstance someone is in, there is something in Christ Jesus that we can encourage them with? Are you going through pain? Know that your Savior knows what you're going through. Are you going through loss? Your Savior knows what you're going through. He has suffered also. Are you rejoicing in some blessing of God in your life? The Savior is rejoicing with you as well. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Whatever you're going through, Jesus knows He cares, and he's with you. Now, I don't know what you're going through on an individual basis, but he does, right? And he cares. He's there with you. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Second part of verse 21. The brothers who are with me greet you. So the next three phrases, as we go along in our passage, are all greetings from various groups of people to the Philippians, to the believers in Philippi. The first group is the brothers who are with me. This would be a number of believers with whom Paul has regular contact. Now remember, this is one of the prison epistles. It's a letter that he wrote while uh, while under house arrest. So, uh, yes, he was restricted in the sense of being imprisoned, but yet he had more freedoms than what uh, many prisoners would have. And so, there are people that were able to actually come and be with him. He has this capacity to have others join him, to bring him supplies, to uh, be able to uh, converse and be with one another. Who are these fellow believers? Well, we know of one, and that goes back to chapter 1, verse 1 as well. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Who wrote the letter? Well, it's attributed to Paul, but Timothy's right there helping him with it. Uh, so clearly, uh, Paul has more people in mind than just Timothy because he sends uh, greetings from the brothers who are with me. But there are others who are been close to him during his imprisonment. In verse 22, we see the the second group. All the saints greet you. So we've got the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Uh, This second group greeting is the largest subset of people that Paul mentions. All the saints. Because his imprisonment is is in Rome, he's talking about the saints of Rome, the believers in Rome, in the area where he currently is. These group greetings, as I'm calling them, indicate that Paul wrote this letter, that as he was writing this letter, he spoke to others, letting them know what he was doing. These closing verses reinforce one of the key words of the book of Philippians. I used it in my prayer earlier because it's in my mind. I couldn't couldn't not speak it. Koinonia. That word fellowship that we've been talking about since chapter one that shows up in various ways uh, throughout the book. Uh, The fellowship of suffering was one of them. Remember that? Uh, Koinonia, those who are with him, those who are actively uh, helping him. These closing verses reinforce the idea of fellowship. There is no such thing as solo ministry. There isn't. There is no such thing. And that's by God's design. We need each other. That's why Paul often uses the metaphor of the body to refer to the church because we being lots of individual parts are together one body. He didn't just teach it. He lived it. So even when greatly restricted in his movements because of his imprisonment, He did what he could to be part of the body. He was not some separated appendage. So he includes all the saints as shorthand for the the church in Rome as he sends greetings here. Now Paul is the apostle, right? Uh, He is the one with a particular special authority from Christ himself for the purpose of establishing the church, for the purpose of, of writing the New Testament, writing our. Our New Testament scriptures. Timothy was with him, but Timothy was not an apostle. None of the other believers who were with him were apostles, these brothers or these saints that he talks about. So Paul had the authority all on his own to write this letter of encouragement, this letter of instruction, of admonition, with the authority of just his name. He could have said, I, Paul, instruct you in this. Good night, or however else he would conclude the letter. He doesn't do that at all, because there's no such thing as solo ministry, even for the apostle Paul. So he includes the whole church in his closing statements. All the saints greet you because of the importance of the body of Christ. Greet every saint. Is the first group going out to the Philippians. The brothers who are with me greet you. That's the second group. third group is all the saints greet you. This fourth group is especially those of Caesar's household. Now, I got to be honest, and as I thought of it later, it, it sounds kind of silly, but for a long time, I thought of Caesar as just someone's name. I mean, I know some people named Caesar, right? Caesar's household greets you. Okay, that's not what he's saying at all, okay? and And most of you are probably sitting there going, yeah, he's not talking about that. He's in the Roman Empire. He's talking about the Caesar. The very head of the Roman Empire. So what does he mean by Caesar's household? Well, anyone who worked for the government uh, of Rome would be known as Caesar's household. Whether we're talking about uh, servants of Caesar himself or whether we're talking about people who enforced laws and collected taxes throughout the realm, or if we're talking about people in the military, everyone who worked for Caesar was considered part of Caesar's household. So I believe Paul is referring back to the people that he talked about in chapter 1. Do you remember this? Verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1. Paul says, "...I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to to advance the gospel." so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I know that was a while ago that we looked at chapter 1. But Paul is talking about these guards that he's been sharing Christ with. And whether or not uh, many of them received Christ, some of them clearly did. And that's whom he is referring to as sending greetings in this letter. Even some of Caesar's household have become part of the body of Christ. Verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We have finally arrived at the sincerely yours, Paul. And yet he doesn't make it about himself at all. This final greeting of the letter is a very brief sentence and yet it is packed. Grace is perhaps the single most significant concept that we could ever grasp. Um, since, Since my youngest days, I've been a member of various churches in various places. This is the only Grace Baptist Church that I've been a member of. And I love the name Grace Baptist Church. Welcome to grace is one of my favorite things to say when I introduce myself to people that are visiting or whatever. The word grace is not just a word that could be used as someone's first name. It's not just kind thoughts that someone gives the concept of grace, as in the grace of God. It's something that if we don't understand grace, then we don't have salvation. That's how important this little word is, right? Because grace, what is it? It's receiving something that we do not deserve. If we do not understand that salvation is by grace, God's gift to us, then what are we going to do? We're going to work for it. Or we're going to think that somehow by our situation in life or because of the the family that we came from or where we grew up, whatever it is, we might think that I deserve somehow God's gift of salvation. And the scripture says the opposite. Do we deserve anything good from God? Do we deserve to be adopted into his family? Do we deserve any of the gifts of God in this life or in the next? No, we don't deserve any of it. Why? Is it because we're the worst that we could be? No, Scripture doesn't tell us that. But what Scripture does say is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans 3.23. Romans 3.10. There is none who does good. No, not one. Now, that's not according to the world standard of good because there's plenty of people that do the world standard of good. This is God's standard of good because what is his standard? It's perfection, absolute perfection. How many of us have had any waking, waking moment where we've been Perfect. We haven't, right? At least that's how Scripture describes it. Not to put us down, not to make us feel bad, but to, to recognize the true holiness is found in God alone. And so for us to be made right, to receive all these good gifts from God, there has to be something that connects us to Him that's not of our own effort. It has to be the grace of God in sending Jesus us. The reality is revealed in Scripture is what, as to what we deserve is eternal torment. Why? Because we've sinned against an eternally holy God, and yet God shows his love for us. This is Romans 5.8, right? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is grace. God giving us great and glorious gifts, despite the fact that we haven't earned anything any of it the verse reads the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit Jesus Christ is certainly the most important subject of the book of Philippians like I said earlier his uh, our Messiah is mentioned about 40 times a little more throughout the book of Philippians as well he should be he is the source of grace in our lives Were it not for him humbling himself, leaving heaven to become man, to retain his full deity while adding to it full humanity, were it not for him humbling himself, emptying himself, as our theme passage articulated, were it not for him putting on humanity and dying for our sins, there would be no grace. There could be no grace. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he finishes the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That final little phrase emphasizes the personal nature of our relationship with God. Your spirit is who you are, that immaterial, eternal part of you. This flesh that we are wearing in the here and now, it's not forever until the Lord changes us, right? but that that internal part, the the spirit of a man, the spirit of every person who has ever lived, will live on forever. The question is not, will you live forever? The question is, will you live forever as a, a child of God, as a saint of God, or as his enemy, right? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As we wrap up the book of Philippians, let me ask you, do you have the mind of Christ? Are you exhibiting humility more often today than you were perhaps a year ago? I'm not asking if you're perfect in it. I'm asking, are you growing? I know it's a very subjective question. It's good to consider even though it's hard to quantify. Here's another, one, another question that is something we can actually measure. How are you sacrificing for God's purposes? Remember, our example is Jesus Christ who sacrificed glory to come to earth to be our Savior. How are you and I sacrificing to serve God's purposes? We can can measure that, can't we? We can measure it in time. How much time are we spending with God's purposes? Look at your your calendars. How did you spend the last week, the last month? How much of that calendar space is occupied with serving God? Sacrifice can be measured in time. Sacrifice can be measured in time. Treasure, how much money, and not necessarily the amount, okay, because depending on who you are and what resources you have, uh, your amount might look very different than someone else. We've talked about this in weeks past. I don't want to rehash all that. Sacrifice can be measured in dollars in the sense of what purchases have we perhaps not made so that we could sacrifice for the Lord's work? Or have we not committed our finances to the work of the Lord? Do you have the mind of Christ? Does it show in your time and your treasure? Does it show in how you make decisions? It's graduation day here in town. College students to be. How did you make that choice? with all the college visits that students make and I have a a junior and she's been talking about going to college and as a parent, it's a little overwhelming because there's nothing affordable out there. How do you make those choices? Is it just, well, my friends are going there. Is it just, well, they have the degree that I have. What about the church? Those of you going off to college, you've visited colleges. Have you checked out churches? How do we make decisions? You don't have to be in college for God to be moving you. If you move to a new community, if you, or even within, please don't move to a new community, move here. If you move to a new neighborhood, do you consider, okay, I'm going to move to this neighborhood because I, know, I don't know of any believers that live in this neighborhood, so I'm going to live there and be a light in this neighborhood. Or do we just look at what house has the best backyard or whatever it is you're looking for? How do we make decisions? Does the mind of Christ show in how we make decisions? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must continue to grow in our understanding, knowing who Jesus is, so that we might live it out, emulating, mimicking, having the mind Of Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us the Word of God. As as I've been preparing to, to preach Exodus, thinking about what little knowledge they had of God before you revealed yourself to the nation through Moses. Uh, Lord, we we have no excuse. We have the completed scripture that, that not only has the foreshadowing of the Old Testament that, that gives hints as to what you would do through your chosen one. We have the completed New Testament that tells us how Jesus fulfilled it all. Oh, Lord, help us to love your word so that we might know our Savior more, that we might, as Paul put it in this book, have the mind of Christ, thinking the way that Jesus would think, loving the way that Jesus would love so that in turn we would make decisions and have thought processes and have actions and responses that look the way Jesus would would act and respond rather than the way the world around us does. And Lord, it is distinctly different. Help us to be that light in a dark world. Help us to stand out in all the best ways as living for Jesus. And that means that that some in the world will hate us and will try to destroy the work that you're doing. But we know that Obeying you, living for you is the best path in our lives, the one that leads to the greatest amount of joy, no matter the opposition in this life. So Father, help us to live out the mind of Christ. Thank you for this study. We ask that you would continue to bring these truths that we've looked at to mind, that we might live like our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. song we're going to sing.